Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Beyond Exodus podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, and we are excited for our eighth episode, and not only our eighth episode, but a great eighth guest. Uh, the head girl soccer coach at Allentown Catholic High School entering his seventh season was a one-time assistant coach of the year in the CCL, uh, somebody who I got to meet through the Allentown Catholic community coaching football there. Uh, tremendous coach, tremendous teacher, tremendous guy, and someone who I just thought to have on the show that would give great knowledge to coaches. He's, he's you know coached a lot of different places, coached a lot of different sports and really just understands how to work with you know adolescents work with high school kids so um, ladies and gentlemen John Bolero hey coach how's it going thanks for having me on man of course, anytime. And, and, and another great thing about John is you know, when I coached football out to Catholic, John was our announcer for the games. Yes. And, uh, you know, you're so, you're so focused into the game, but all I would hear after the game is how great of an announcer we had <laughs> at our football games, no matter who came. Yeah, you know, games. Oh, the, the golden pipes, you know, hopefully <laughs> uh, be back out there in February for, uh, for this season. I can't wait. I love doing it. Awesome, man. So, you know, John, John has held a lot of titles and, you know, like I said, he's currently the head girls soccer coach at Allentown Catholic High School. And so, John, I'm just going to kind of give you a minute to really talk about, you know, your coaching career, because I know you've moved from place to place and different parts of the state. You yep. were coaching all over the place. So I'm going to give you a little time to kind of introduce yourself and, and talk about your coaching experience. Sure, coach. So um, I started out actually in Worcester, a really small high school. It's where I started my teaching career. So I've actually... I've been coaching about, you know, a month longer than I've been teaching because, as you know, the fall season starts before school actually starts. So I opened up. I was the girls' JV coach at a small school, St. Mary's High School in Worcester. Um, it's a 7th through 12th. It's a junior-senior high school. Um, and I was there for three years. I was the uh, JV coach for two years and then the varsity coach in my third year. Um, while I was there, I also got roped in to coaching baseball. Like I said, it's a really small school. We had about about 20 kids per class, per grade. So, you know, looking for people, you wore a lot of hats. So I, um, I coached soccer, and then I also coached baseball, which I had never played. I played soccer all growing up and through high school. had a, had a good varsity career, Malden Catholic. Um, didn't continue in college. I went to Providence, so I wasn't quite a D1 athlete. Um, went, went education over athletics at that point, but I was happy to get back into it. Um, and then when I decided to leave Worcester and move a little bit back closer to home, um, I was lucky enough actually to land at my alma mater um, for, for one year. I was at MC teaching and coaching, and I, I coached the freshman boys. Um, soccer team there and I was also the JV lacrosse coach so I got pulled into another another sport I had never played um, but was asked to coach and just kind of got into lacrosse that way um, unfortunately at the end of that year um, I wasn't rehired at MC because because of staff cutbacks and I just I was lucky enough to land at Arlington Catholic um, where I've been the last 11 years and I started out there as the JV boys soccer coach and assistant boys varsity lacrosse coach. I also coached freshman basketball for three years, uh, boys basketball. And after my fourth year coaching the JV, uh, sorry, as the assistant boys coach, I wound up um, putting my name in and applying for the girls varsity job. That position opened up and I 
applied and got it. I've been the varsity coach ever since the last seven years um, coaching there. That's great. You know, and, and, and for, you know, people like, you know, I, I got to know John personally through, you know, my time at Allenton Catholic is just, you know, we talk about kids educating themselves and, and playing different sports and keeping themselves competitive and training their body in different ways. And, you know, coaches educate themselves in the off season, but it's also great to see coaches coach other sports because again, you're put in some more competitive situations and, you know, tight situations and having Absolutely. to make decisions and substitutions and all of that. So, you know, coaching a lot of different sports for a coach is, is great too even if you're not super familiar with the sport you learn over time you educate yourself like you do in any other sport so I've always kind of admired that about you is just how much knowledge you have in sports and coaching kids and dealing with you know everything you know the the entire athlete not just the athletic side of them but the, the mental aspect of it and so on and so forth so let me ask you you coach as an assistant at sure. Arlington Catholic and um, you apply for the head coaching job for the girls soccer yeah. team Talk about being an educator in the school and applying for a head coaching job, because to me, that's kind of scary, right? Because in a way, yeah. you're trying to make a name for yourself. And what happens if you don't get hired for that? And then you start to think about your job. Like, so talk about that process a little bit. For sure, right? It's, it's such a unique kind of process to go through, because what you're doing is, first of all, you know, you have this relationship that you've built up. Or I, or I had, I had this relationship that I built up over the four years coaching the boys with um, a head coach who I'd gotten to know. And, you know, he understood I, I was, you know, looking to, to move up. And he had a son in the program who was young. So I knew it was at least a couple of years before he was going to look to move on. Um, so I jumped at that chance. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's scary. That's a good word for it, or, or at least nerve wracking thinking like, here I am, I'm in a spot, I'm comfortable, but I want to try to, you know, bet, better my situation and better myself and, and take over a program and do something on my own and do something a little different than what I'm doing. And that process at AC was, was great. But at the same time, I went into it knowing there is a chance that they're not going to hire me, that they, you know, they, they went through a full interview process. I interviewed with our athletic director, Mr. Shine, um, as kind of the first round of interviews, explained to him my thought process behind why I wanted to make that leap and go back to coaching girls, which is where I started my coaching career. Um, and then after that interview, interviewed with the principal and the dean of students, who was a former soccer coach himself, the dean of students, Mr. Graceffa. Um, so he's a soccer guy. And went through that, that process. And um, again, I was you know, lucky enough that they, they trusted me with the program and uh, I've been able to do it for so long. But yeah, breaking away from the boys, you know, obviously, you know, some, some of those guys that I coached on varsity for a couple of years, I was still in the school, you know, for those couple of years after there was a little bit of that, like you, you left us or you moved on, but eventually they, they got it. They understood um, what it was. And then, you know, working with some of my students um, who, who were the female athletes for the first time because they had known me as a boys coach, right? They didn't necessarily know my background in, in girls sports. They kind of saw it as, you know, or, or were nervous. They weren't sure what to expect. So there was definitely a feeling out process as you went and you weren't, yeah, there, there was, I was really lucky the way it worked out. Um, I'm happy the way it worked out, but at the time, 
you are. It's, it's always kind of scary to take that risk, take that leap into something new when you, you know you're in a spot that, that you're good and that you're comfortable in. Yeah. And, and I think betting on yourself, you know, at the end of the day, you're betting oh, on sure. yourself with the knowledge that you have and the experience that you have, yeah. you know, making that jump over from boy sports to girl sports, where you have that familiarity was, was also, you know, an easy adjustment for you. But let's talk about that adjustment, John, because sure. coaching boys and girls, I mean, I've had several guests on here that have, you know, kind of gone in being like, I want to be a boys coach and they end up being a girls coach and having a lot of success doing it. So you jump over from one side to the other. And obviously there is some difference, but talk about coaching staff wise, because obviously you got to hire a number two right there. So was it someone that you were coaching with previously or did you say, I want to go out and find the best person or were you hoping for alumni? Talk about your decision-making when it comes to hiring a coaching staff. Sure, right? Because obviously you, you always want the best person for your situation, right? And the best person for your program, wh whoever that could be. Um, so when I, when I got the job, it, it was, I was kind of starting at ground zero, right? Um, the, the former coach was leaving, his head assistant left and got a job at Watertown. So I was kind of starting, you know, from bare bones. And um, the first person who I hired was the former JV coach, Coach Maria, who was an AC alum and had played college soccer at the University of Scranton. And so I promoted her from JV coach. She came in, she met with me, she interviewed with me and, and we got to talking and we realized we, we had a lot of the same philosophy and ideas of what Arlington Catholic soccer should be. Um, and it worked out really well. I thought it was important that she was an alum and the girls kind of look at her and say, you know, she, she was here, right. She, she was an Arlington Catholic soccer player. Um, and, and that, you know, to have a female on staff, right. To, to be a, to be a man coaching a girl's sport is um, challenging at times. And it's good to have that, that female ear um, that players can go to and feel comfortable going to. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think that's important in any sport, right? You know, you always want to have a number two in there that, you know, is a hard worker, knows what they're doing, and obviously yep. the experience. And again, I know through the world of football, but in soccer, you know, it's probably two to three coaches, I'm guessing, at most that you really yeah. have in your program. So, you know, you really have to be pinpoint with what you're going after, what you want to have on your staff, and most yeah. importantly, what you want to have work with, you know, these young girls as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, for us, we, we usually do. We usually have three. It's usually two with the varsity team and one with the junior varsity team. Um, and then so when I was filling out even the um, coaching staff my first year, looking for a JV coach, I, I was sending out feelers everywhere. And one of the, and you know, one, one of the difficult parts about filling a high school coaching position are the hours. Right. You're asking someone to be available from three o'clock to five o'clock every every workday during the during the two month span of the season. Oh, by the way, there are going to be days where the bus leaves a quarter or two so that we can get down to Brockton for a three thirty game. And we're probably not going to get home till seven o'clock at night. Right. So you're asking you're, you're trying to find someone who not only is qualified and enthusiastic and has the same philosophy, but also has those afternoons free. Um, so that is, is a constant challenge. So I was sending feelers out all over the place for a JV coach and actually wound up staying in house with someone who kind of like me 
with lacrosse and with baseball, he wasn't a soccer guy. This uh, Coach Monroe, who's a science teacher and, and was our JV lacrosse coach, um, and he came and, you know, I, I was having trouble finding someone who, where the hours could fit, um, especially with, like, alumni and, and other soccer coaches. And he came and he said, I'd love to try it. He, he was new to the school. He had been hired the year before. And he was like, I'd love to get more involved. And I took a chance on him um, at that position, and, and he, he thrived and he flourished. And he, he jokes now that he's a soccer guy now, and he never thought he would be, right, seven, seven years later. Yeah, Coach Monroe. I, I I love Coach Monroe. I think he's yeah. a great guy. All great, great guy. guy. Um, yeah. but let's let's kind of stay on that. So obviously, number one most important thing you know to you was really to go out specifically hiring a female coach right when you at first yeah. got your job. Absolutely. What was your short term uh, goals, Coach? As far as getting into a program, making it your own. Um, what was some of the short term goals that you had? when you got that job right away and wanted to meet your team and implement kind of your um, philosophies? Yeah. The, the, I think the short-term goals for me at the time w- was all about program philosophy and kind of changing the culture, not ch- or continuing some of that competitive culture that coach Manny had started, but also then adjusting it and changing it to kind of my view of competition for, for all seasons and all athletes. Um, they had kind of gotten into, into a spot where if, you know, you weren't on varsity by your sophomore year, you kind of just, you know, knew it wasn't going to happen. And I wanted to make sure that they understood right away that, you know, spots weren't safe, that this was going to be competition all four years, that progress was going to be rewarded and hard work was going to be rewarded. Um, so I wanted to make sure that that was instilled right away in, in the program. Um, and in my first year, I did that. There, there were girls who came out um, who, who had been juniors on JV, who, who I promoted to varsity at, as their senior year. And that was kind of like a, an eye opener for some, some people, right? And I, I left a few on, uh, I left a few on JV who probably thought they had a spot waiting for them, right? Um, so kind of that culture disruption um, to kind of bring that new, philosophy of oh if I improve every year if I put in the work in off season there is a chance for me and there's going to be a spot for me down the road um, to keep them engaged for as long as possible because not everyone's going to be a varsity athlete right not everyone you know at, at some point you know your playing career as whether it's you know at youth or at JV or freshman or at high school varsity or in college or beyond right we all kind of everyone's career has a has a point but I wanted to make sure that they knew that it, I would give them the chance uh, to, to work hard and get there. Um, and, and I think it's benefited us greatly over the last, over the last seven years. Um, that keeping that JV team competitive where it's, you know, they know they're coming to work just as much as the varsity team. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's your feeder program, right? So in the sense you're, oh, you're absolutely. still everything in, into having these girls being able to fill in. And, you know, coaching at AC for a long time with you, I mean, the same thing in the football world, right? So when it comes to girls soccer, just soccer in general, um, like I know in high school football, we're looking to utilize everybody on our roster, right? So we have Mike, some guys that might come in for dime situations on defense or come in for more blocking situations on offense or, you know, as a true special teams guy. We really sure. try to find as many roles as possible. When you're 
looking through your bench and you're looking through the depth that you have. Is that a similar philosophy in soccer that you might have somebody come in who's a tougher defender versus somebody comes in who's a little faster to get some speed on the field? Talk about the strategy of coaching soccer and how you go about really like utilizing your roster. Yeah, that's a great question, Anthony. So, you know, for me, for soccer, you know, the, the most important thing is to have depth at every position because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I've, I've lost starters to injuries, uh, short-term and long-term. Um, you don't know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. Um, even just going in my first year, um, we had a great athlete, uh, Mo Buckley, who's a basketball star who tore her ACL playing summer league basketball. And she was penciled in. Everyone said, this girl's going to be your starting center mid. Here she is. And so right away, that was kind of thrown into a loop. Um, So to make sure that you have someone competitive working behind the starters, because the substitution patterns in soccer are very different than like a football or a hockey where you're rolling lines. Um, For me, I don't sub like in the back. My, My defense knows like the starting for that game who I've kind of determined matchup, you know, it definitely is, like you said, matchup-based. I know I've played against teams in my league enough. I know, okay, this is a fast team up top. We got to make sure we have our speed in the back this game. Or this is going to be a shutdown. They're going to go up the wings. We have to shut down the side, right? Right side, left side. But where we start is usually how the game kind of goes, right? But they know they're all going to kind of get their chance. And if an injury happens, they have to be ready to step up. Um, And then for us, you know, the, the, place that I sub the most is probably the midfield because I ask them to do a lot on the field. They're asked to run all over, right? We play our, our mids defend and attack. So they're running the whole length of the field all game. So I know I need on my roster, I need eight competent midfielders so that, you know, we can sub, we can go in and we, he is having them ready. So, so that there's not a drop in play when the subs come in, right? The, the subs need to be just as skilled and just as ready as the starters for sure. Um, so it, it's funny. You're really the first coach that I'm actually interviewing that is playing, you know, sport, yeah. you know, that is since COVID is having a fall season. So talk yeah. about it, John. I mean, talk about oh, coaching during COVID times <laughs> and just yeah, how crazy it's been. <laughs> what can I say about the craziness of COVID times? Um, yeah, for me, for me, it started in the summer because um, I'm, I'm our league rep to the Talk Coaches Association. So I sat in on Zoom meetings with that association all summer, and we were just guessing, right? No one knew what was going to happen right. in the fall. So I, we sat in all these meetings. We're, we're, we're guessing as to what the rules were going to be. We're guessing as to what what we were going to be allowed to do. At what point we're thinking, like, are they going to make us play seven on sevens? Like, are they going to make us do this, right? It's like, we're just like trying to think, what in the world is this going to look like? Um, and then when, when the regulations came out and some of the rule changes came out, we had another big one. And there were some coaches who were sitting there going, oh, we should wait till the floating season. We should wait till fall too in February and hopefully we won't have as many restrictions. And luckily, you know, cooler heads prevailed. And most of us went, guys, we don't want to play soccer in February, right? <laughs> we live in New England, yeah. right? We know, we know what the field, what, what the weather situation is like in February. And there's no guarantee that it'll be any less restrictive. So um, luckily um, I'm so happy that, that we're playing right now, right? That, 
that even with all the restrictions and the rule changes and, you know, it feels like such a, you know, we can, we can talk a little bit about some of those more specific ones, but it's like really stop start um, because there are more whistles and more calls and the flow of the game has been disrupted a little bit with all of that being and the masks, the girls wear masks the entire game with all that, that being said, we're on the field and we're playing and we're, you know, we're, we're playing the sport that, that we're supposed to be playing. And um, it feels different and it's crazy. And the arguments that I've gotten in with refs are different than the ones that I've gotten in in the past. I'm like, are you sure she didn't have her hand on her back there? You know, she's not supposed to be touching her there. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's really, I think that was intentional hand, hand to back contact, right? These things I never thought I'd be saying or, or calls. I never thought I'd be trying to, trying to argue for are, are out there, but, but we're definitely uh, have to be playing. The, the, the craziest part um, for us probably was the trial process. Um, so we go, on, we go in, you know, now school had already started. Normally, like I mentioned earlier, the fall season starts before school does. So it's a good chance to kind of get on the field. You've got a whole day to kind of split the field, especially, you know, we, we have a unique situation at AC where we have one field for three teams, the three programs, really, more than three teams. We think about boys soccer, girls soccer, and, and football. Um, so having all those hours in the day to split, to do double sessions, to kind of get an extended practice, an extended tryout, a, an extra scrimmage in, right? Um, that, was, that was taken away. And I felt that. I felt the time crunch for sure during tryouts where I didn't feel like I was getting the things done that I normally would get done in a tryout process, right? Because the, you know, you just don't have the same time. You know, you just don't have the same, um, just the same hours um, that, that you would if, if, you know, you get to my, my normal, my normal first two days are double sessions where we go 7.30 to 9 and then we're back on the field 11 to, to 1, right? right? And instead, we're going to normal 3 to 4.30 after school, after the kids have been, you know, out there in, in school or remote, like on the computer all day. So it's a, um, that, that was probably, you know, one of, the, one of the bigger adjustments. Also, at the beginning of the season, what they had asked us to do was to pod students keep them in the same small groups so within the within the tryout roster before you even get to make any evaluations you're kind of putting kids together by age and then you can't move those for a week so you have to kind of keep them there for the week and then you can start making those adjustments and making those teams and it wasn't it wasn't until team selection um, or until after team selection that you really got to mix that up a little bit so there was definitely wrinkles in the evaluation process wrinkles in the um just that that whole trial process that that you never foresee i mean it sounds miserable actually it was, it was miserable <laughs> it, it was one of those um one of those things where, where you're happy you're happy you're out there but it's all the other stuff i say that in both teaching and coaching i say it all the time i say you know if it's just in the classroom or just on the field that's the easy stuff, right? That's the stuff we love to do, right? The, that, that time in the classroom, that's, that's easy. When you're on the field coaching, running a practice or running a game, 
that's the stuff you love to do. It's all the other stuff that comes around the field or around the classroom that starts to kind of weigh on you. And, and COVID regulations were just another thing to worry about. Um, I, when, when I was planning my first practice, I, I made my list of like everything to talk to my players about, right? And you usually have, you know, what the plan for the week is and, you know, team rules and, you know, th things like that. And it was just all COVID, COVID, COVID regulations. Talk to them about the new rules. Talk to them about the restrictions. Talk about the masks. Talk about the pods. Talk about this. Talk about that. And our, our principal, um, Mr. Graceffa, popped in my room the day of the first tryout. And he just said, hey, John, you're going to talk to them about Rule 62 and hazing today, right? I was like, oh, yeah, that's something I also talk about every day on the first day. And it, and, and it was so far down on my list. It, it's just like these things that are normal got pushed out of your mind. These things that you do all the time um, got taken over by these new, these new restrictions, these new rules that you just, you know, what, what can you do? It's just, you know, it, it's all over the place. Yeah, and I, and I think that's so tough because, again, like yeah. you're trying to put a product on the field and you're really yeah. – and, and, and from the other aspect of it, you're also trying to develop – again, you mentioned your JV program earlier. Like you're also trying to develop your team for whatever a season's going to look like next yeah. year, the following year. So really Absolutely. trying to develop your, your younger players is an important aspect of any season. But now you're adding all these things on the front of the list. And some of these things that are typically on the front of the list are now slowly making their way deep into yeah. it. So yeah. um, I don't envy, envy you coaches right now in, in, no. in the world that you're living in, but let's talk a little bit about those rule changes because sure. I know that some of these rules, like just to hear like, you're like, Oh, I'm having a different conversation with the ref about me putting my hand on the girl's shoulder or back. Like, are you sure there wasn't contact there where in a regular game, they're bumping into each other, sliding, knocking each other down. Right. Yeah. So, um, talk about those rule changes. I know some sure. have benefited you. So talk a little bit about some yeah, yeah, for sure, right? Yeah, some some have some have been challenges, and some and some we've been able to take take advantage of, right? So some some of those rule changes that we've taken advantage of, I think one has been the new indirect kick, no throw in, and corner kick rule, where. Now, instead, instead of being able to, I know, soccer talk, but an indirect kick is just a kick where the ball has to hit another player before it goes in the net. So now all those have to be played short on the ground. Um, first, you can't just kind of throw it in the box and hope it hits a body. And that's actually benefited us a lot because what, what it does, what it's allowed us to do is put the ball on the foot with a short play of, of our better players right, where we're able to kind of create things after the fact, right, where, where we can put the ball down, look up, play it short to some of our better players who can kind of then, then make something happen afterwards, right? And then the other that we've taken advantage is the new corner kick rule. In the same vein, corner kicks, which, you know, if you've watched high school soccer or any, any level of soccer, you know, you just kind of hammer the ball into the box and, and hope for a good header, um, that's no longer the case. You, you also have to play a corner kick short on the ground before you can kind of go in. So we've developed, we've developed a good system um, in practice and identifying some of our better players of actually improving the angle using that short corner in for the sh making the corner a shot on goal. Um, we've scored directly on it. 
Um, and we've scored off of kind of the havoc and the rebound that it's caused. We, we've scored four, at this point, four goals off corner kicks in our, in our what, 11 games. And, um, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a good little weapon to have where in the past it's, you know, you're, you're, in the past you've created 50-50 balls. And it's one of those things where you think, now I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, that's going to be something going forward that, you know, maybe we keep as an option. Right. Um, for you sure. Practice it a lot. You know, you practice, a, you oh, practice yeah. a lot of it. Absolutely. You practice it all the time. You basically, you know, and, and you know, when, when, when we used to split the field with, with football, we would basically gradually work our practice down to the corner. We'd start with half the field and then football take a little bit more. So we moved down, we work on free kicks and some stuff. And eventually we'd be basically to the 18. And we work on work on corners and PKs for the for the last 15, 20 minutes of practice. And um, we don't do that now because obviously football is not in season. But that same kind of as far as like shortening the field, but that same philosophy, right? We still want to make sure we're working on those set pieces um, in like the last 20 minutes of every practice, just to make sure we're ready when it pops up in a game. And it's definitely been something that um, we've been able to take advantage of. Um, some of the some of the tougher ones and some of the things that that every team is dealing with. I was are those ask like, you. Yeah. Go yeah, talk about every team. Yeah, are some of those contact rules, man. And these are the things is it's driving coaches crazy, players crazy. And you can see it in, in the conversations I've talked with with officials, it's driving them crazy too, because they don't necessarily want to make these kind of in like basketball, you call them like tic tac foul calls. Um, but they have to, and it's for, you know safety it's what it's what we've determined is is the safest way to play it um so now there's no intentional contact period right offensively or defensively you can't intentionally make contact with another player's torso right and that's leaning in kind of trying to bully someone off the ball shoulder to shoulder it's using your arm to try and gain position it's um intentionally backing into a player to try and improve your position. All these things have kind of been taken away. So a lot more 50-50 balls that, that are just, you know, we're relying on traps. Um, it's led to some, you know, some players being being less aggressive. And it's really benefited um, teams that that are more more technically talented, right? The teams where, where when that, that can pass and dink and dunk all over the field um, and play that play that kind of club style soccer um it's definitely benefited them because they're not looking you know we we've played you know we're not the most technically talented team so in the past we've we've played kind of like a a grit type type of game where we're looking to we're looking to create 50 50s we're looking to get in there and kind of get dirty and cause a little chaos and that little bit of chaos is is not being rewarded in the way that that it used to be so we've had to totally kind of change our style again um, yeah. much more yeah. much more possession oriented much more you know playing the ball through our central midfielders and up to our up to our striker um, I've changed our formation things like that to try and take advantage of those rules um, and adjust to them and you know we, we've had we've had good success with it um, we've, we've scored more goals in 12 games this year than we did in our 18 games last year so we've We've definitely found some success. Um, part of that is a maturing thing where, where I have players who, who got a lot of minutes last year and they've taken a step forward and matured. So we've taken kind of that leap, that step forward. I'm not going to call it a leap exactly, but definitely a step forward as a team. Um, 
yeah but yes it's been um it's been interesting man um yeah so let me let me ask you this because you kind of got a hint on something i was just going to really talk to you about is you mentioned that you had a lot of girls learning from the previous year that had a lot of minutes in game talk about having that experience coming back during a time like this right so you're in covid and things are changing every minute every day and you know something you get yep. told on tuesday is different on a thursday right so talk about Absolutely. having an experienced team coming back to really help you and your coaches out with some of like the on-field things or practice setups yeah. and things like that yeah I mean, it's been invaluable, Anthony, you know, because so I graduated four seniors last year from the program. And so I returned 16 players. It would have been 17. I actually had one player who has sat out this year um, because she's fully remote at home. Right. So she's not coming to school. She didn't think it would be right to play soccer um, when she's not coming in in person, which is, you know, just another thing that, you know, we never thought we'd have to deal with as coaches. Right. You know, having to sit down via a Zoom call just like this and have that difficult conversation with a player, right? Um, But having those 16 come back is, one, it made that as difficult as tryouts and evaluations were for those players who who I wasn't as familiar with, I at least knew I had, like, my core going in, right? I had those returning players who who I was comfortable with. And at one point, I kind of made the joke that, like, if we just keep the 16, I'm okay, right? You know, we'll, we'll add on as we need to. But if we just start here, we're okay, right? Um, and then you kind of just hinted at practice with all these things that are going on in a coach's head, all those things off the field, for them to already be familiar with our practice schedule, um, our practice routine, our warm-up routine, those little things that when they're done on time and done correctly, just help a practice, help a game day go so much smoother. Right. There's no, you know, trying, try, try, I don't necessarily need to be the person to explain what we're doing in warm up, even on those first couple of games, because the older players, they, the returning players, they knew, right. They knew going in what they were going to do. They knew what their role was. They had to make an adjustment. I, like I mentioned, we moved, um, we changed formation. So one of my captains who was a starting striker last year's played up top is now playing in the center midfield. So she made that adjustment, but she was willing um, she's doing a great job um, there, but just ha- having that experience and that leadership has been um, so helpful for me, especially, you know, in this just crazy time. And we're all kind of learning together, right? We're all adjusting as we go. At this point, you know, we've got it, right? We've, we've played enough games. We, we know, we kind of know what we're doing. Um, but in the beginning, when we were all making those adjustments at the same time, not having to go backwards to the old stuff made introducing those new regulations, introducing the new stuff that much smoother, right? And it really helped us at the beginning um, and allowed us to do things like work on corner kicks, right? Work on the new stuff because, again, the old tactical stuff was already kind of in the bag or in, or in the back of their minds. 
And that's great. So talk, talk to me too, a little bit about, you know, you're kind of talking about the leadership that you have so on and so forth in your program. And I've always kind of admired, like you had mentioned about football and like us splitting the field together. And a lot of times we got there, you should just kind of watch your practice. And it's funny that you talked about how your practice changed as like football took more of the field and you guys worked on. And I always really, really looked at your, your practices and would always say that to myself. Like he's always really organized. He's pinpoint to the minute he has them working on a lot of different things in a short period of time and true and truthfully john some of that stuff i was able to kind of carry over into football to make certain parts of practice a little bit more efficient um than they typically were you know when i first kind of took over so you know when you talked about that it, it really resonated to me because i i used to think that about you a lot so um it was great to hear you say that. Um, talk, talk a little bit about um, the sacrifices you make. I mean, you know, I named all these different places and you talked about all these different places that you coach. It comes at a price. It comes at a price of valuable time with family and valuable time with loved ones. And, you know, and especially at a young age, you're making a lot of sacrifices that typically people your age wouldn't specifically over a weekend or over a course of a day. So talk a little bit about the sacrifices you have made and, and how that affects your life and how you balance life and coaching all, all together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. That's a great question and a great, you know, just observation because it is, it's one of those things that when you're getting into it, maybe you're not thinking about it, right? That when you're 20, I was 22 when I started coaching, right? So when, you, when you're 22, you're not like, oh, I'm going to spend, you know, 35 hours a week thinking about soccer, right? But um, it winds up, you do it, right? And it is tough. It's a, it's a big commitment, not only the time on the field, but, but also, you know, at home, um, I had this conversation with my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. She said, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm planning, planning practice for tomorrow. And she literally, she goes, you know, I never thought of the fact that you have to plan your practices. I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh yeah, that's just another thing you do. I was like, yep, it's another thing I do. Right. And it's just kind of one of those things that, that you have to be willing to put, put that like extra and it might take a half hour depending on the time, or it might even take just 10 minutes, but putting it on paper and like knowing like, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow, or this is what we're going to work on tomorrow. It, it, it does, like you said, it makes, it makes your life, it makes that practice so much easier the next day. Right. Um, and, and some people just, you know, that definitely there, there are times when you, you have other things going on in your life, right. Besides coaching, besides teaching, Right. Um, and you have to make that determination that we're asking our players to take this seriously and to make this a priority. Right. How many times do you have that conversation with players where they're like, well, I've got a project to do. You're like, well, you've got to put practice first or I've got, you know, a birthday party to go to. Well, you got to put the game first. So we have to ask that of ourselves, too. And it can be, it leads to some awkward conversations sometimes with friends or family when they say, oh, you know, you're going to come to, you know, my cookout. And it's like, oh, no, I've got a game. Oh, you know, reschedule or even worse. Oh, I, I've got to practice, um, you know, but, you know, especially, you know, over in, in, the, in the two sports I coach, you know, there are some, there are some important long weekends uh, there between in, in the fall and, and football coaches know it too. You've got Labor Day and Columbus Day there where, you're not going down the Cape for Labor Day weekend. Sorry, there's there's a tournament on Saturday and practice 
practice Monday afternoon after the cookout, right? Like we're, we're working our first game's Friday and we've got to, we've got to work. And um, that whole idea of, you know, put, putting that as your priority because it's what you ask them to do. I had a, I had a funny one, probably one, Oh, see, they're going to get mad at me because I can't remember how long they've been married, but I was in a wedding. Um, and the bride's reaction when I told her I couldn't come to the rehearsal dinner because I had a game at Archie's that Friday night. She just couldn't understand why, why my assistant coach couldn't just coach the game. I'm like, no, this is, this is my job. This is, you know, I have asked them to do this. Um, so, so I'm going to do it. And this is, you know, the commitment I've made, I've made to the program and I've made to this, this sport. And um, yeah, you have to, but, but people understand eventually, right? And the most important thing is that the more you talk about it and the more you do it, the more you talk about it with those people, they get it, right? That you, it's something you love to do and it's fulfilling and, and all is forgiven in the end, right, as you go. But it definitely does put a strain in the moment. Um, and I think that's, you know, you got to work through those um, at times because, yeah, you're, you're out there and, and oh, God forbid those years in lacrosse when we make the tournament and Memorial Day weekend is uh, taken away because we're getting ready, getting ready for a tournament game in Lax. And um, yeah, that's supposed to be like the start of the summer. I'm sorry, I'm coaching, coaching lacrosse. I can't, can't come to the cookout. You know, it's, whoa, whoa, it's whoa, whoa. Uh, and now, day before Fourth of July. Oh man, yeah, you know, we'll <laughs> see, we'll see. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. When I saw when I saw that schedule come out that that the spring season was going to go to July third, I thought to myself, well, you know, the, the, whatever this one thing, and actually, what we can go, we can kind of circle back is, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there'll be any MIA state tournaments this year. There wasn't one this fall, and they've already decided there's not going to be a winter. So. You know, what, whoever is scheduling the Catholic Central League spring tournament, I, I, let's just hope it's done before the second of, second of July, because yeah. that's going to be a tough conversation if I have to <laughs> say I'm, I'm coaching coaching lacrosse, not not uh, going to a Fourth of July cookout. You know the you know that coach. Oh yeah, absolutely. Know. So you know, with all those sacrifices, John, and we talked about that. There's obviously great moments. Talk to me about maybe one of your prouder moments of coaching, or whether it was a victory, or whether it was just like seeing growth in a team, or just having a conversation with a parent, or something that just made you be like, "Wow, this sacrifice, this hard work, everything I put into this, it's worth it because of things like this." Yeah, you know, I mean, there's so many over the years, right? You know, and you don't even realize them sometimes till till you look back and you kind of think about think about those moments, or they happen in and they, they feel you know bigger than than they seem. Um, one for me, you know, just every kind of moment when, when I realize um, that that a player has made the decision to keep playing, right? And I, like, I don't. You know, Arlington Catholic isn't sending players off to, you know, Duke or UConn, right? But, you know, I have former players that are playing at Emmanuel and playing at Wheaton and playing at uh, Salem State and playing at Regis. And just every single one that they come and they're so excited when they, you know, get that call or sign that letter or talk to that coach. You know, coach, I'm going to keep playing. I'm going to keep playing. And you love to see that, right? So that's, you know, just such an important thing. And even some that – that you don't expect. Um, 
my current assistant or one of my current assistant varsity coaches um, is a former player of mine. And she's one of those, one of those students who, or one of those players who I talked about earlier, who worked her way up through the ranks in at AC. She, she played JV for two years and then was on varsity as a junior and started in the back for me. And then was a captain her senior year and then played at Suffolk. You know, and I'm just like that, that kind of moment where, where you see what you want, that progress, that working up, and then that decision to keep playing um, and just to see how much the sport means and that they've really internalized it um, is always great. Um, and then as far as like on fields, you know, it might be recency bias, but but last year we, we had a great moment. Um, we didn't make the tournament last year, but we were close and, and we needed to – we needed to win out, which is never easy, right? We went to our last last four games, and we knew we needed to win them all. And, and we we were rolling. We we were ready to go. And we had I had this game served against Bishop Fenwick on the on the calendar, being our the hardest of the bunch. They were undefeated in the league. They were going to be the league champs. They had won eight games in a row. I kind of knew, you know, if we were going to have a hiccup, there it was going to be. And we played them at home. We had lost them earlier in the year, four to one up at their place. Um, we played them at home. The girls came out. We were fired up, ready to go, battled hard, played our best game of the season. The game ends in a zero-zero draw. And after that game, it's just like that whole mix of emotions, seeing them go through them all. There's the pride of playing your best and leaving it all on the field. And knowing that you just you were the blotch on their CCL record, they were eleven zero and one, and you were the one, right? That kind of that feeling. But then that other just gut wrench of this did it, this knocked us out. Like this was our, and, and we gave it our all, and it just wasn't enough. And watching them go through that maturely, I mean, there were there were definitely tears, and definitely you know definite disappointment and we were all kind of just broken up about it but at the same time reflecting on it and we all did with they, they all at the banquet talked about talked about that game and and how how important it was for them to just kind of show themselves that you know they can play with the best they can play with the best in the league and, and that little bit of pride there um yeah that was a great moment for us last year and that's a so great, that, that's, you know, because, oh, absolutely. you know, yeah. you're playing a team that, you know, predominantly has been a lot better and you know, you have to play tough down the line to be mm -hmm. able to make the tournament and you battle with the team that, I mean, I don't know how they did that season, but I'm sure they made a run and they went deep into oh, it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for your program, especially bringing back the girls that you're bringing back this year, had this yeah. been a normal season with a normal off season and everything else, and, and yeah. That's, a, that's something you built off of, I'm sure. You would Absol have anyway. Absolutely. And that, that's one of, and that's why I said I might circle back to it. That was one of the more disappointing things about, about this season and the COVID short and is that we kind of knew going in, we had that, that hope that, you know, this was going to be a year that the schedule could break the right way and things could break and we could really make a tournament run and do something good. And to have that kind of carrot, taken away before the season even started was tough was tough for me so the, the moment I told them there's no tournament like you just see it drain from their bodies right that just like but we but we were going to be there 
but we thought we were going to be there, but that was what, this was it, right? You know, we, we were so close last year and this year was going to be it. We were building towards that. That's what we were working towards. So that, that's been a tough thing for this year, but um, we have a, uh, a little mini um, one coming up starting on the 14th where we're going to have, a, we're going to have a CCL cup. We're going to do just a little league tournament. So uh, we're getting ourselves amped up for that. We have a couple more regular season games. We're going to get amped up, hopefully make some noise in the uh, first, hopefully only ever uh, CCL cup in replace of the uh, state tournament. That's cool. I, I think that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I think that It'll that's, cool. um, even if it's only a one-year thing, it's a, it's a one-year thing to say that you have at your school forever. You know, yeah. have it in your display case or trophy case or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah. We're, so we're going to gun for it. We're going we're gonna to be ready for it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, John, it's been, it's been great and just listening to a lot of things that you've been saying today and, you know, some things I've learned about you and, and just, just from this interview that I really didn't know about you and, and knowing you for a long time, it's nice to kind of see that different side of you. But last question, you know, before we jump into our two minute drill, uh, yeah. what's your advice to young coaches? I've been asking a lot of coaches this, and I think for someone who's climbed up the ranks like you did and done it at a lot of different schools, yeah. um, yeah. You know, talk to some young coaches and maybe on, on top of that, John, applying at a, at a school that you're working at a little bit, like advice for young coaches who might also be kind of looking to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for, for young coaches, my, my biggest piece of advice is just to, you know, keep, keep your eyes and ears open because every time you step on the field with a different coach, you're going to learn something, right? Every guy or girl that I've coached with, I've taken something from, right? Like I, my coaching style, my coaching philosophy has a lot of different pieces. It's not all me, right? Some of it is Anthony Petrella, seeing him out there <laughs> on the field, you know, get, finding little things to get jacked up about, even if it's not the biggest thing, because he knows that that's what his team needs that day, right? Whatever it is, um, a lot of it is, you know, my, my coach from high school, Bill Inigan, who who was my varsity coach, and I still run some of the same drills that he did. Um, and just having that. And also having your eyes and ears open for things that you know you wouldn't do, right? And maybe not say it, but just think, keep those in the back of your mind. Like, oh, I would have handled that differently. I might not have done it that way. And that helps you kind of build that philosophy, find out what kind of coach that you're going to be. Um and then also know that it's not going to be perfect right away, right? That it's going to take work, that you have to be committed, that if this is something you want to do as a career or as, you know, and move up those ranks, that those hours are going to be there, that you're going to have to put that work in um, and that you're going to make mistakes along the way, that the halftime speech that you thought was going to get them ready, they're not going to respond to. Um, funny random tangent um my first year coaching i told you my the jv team had seventh graders on it we're playing again we were pretty good um for a jv team and you know i thought you know motivating i'm getting them going we, we were losing to bay path uh like one i don't know by, by a goal or so and getting them get up there and get trying to get them going and i say you got to play like a bunch of 12 12 year olds out there and i don't know why i pulled that number out of my head but that's what i said <laughs> And this girl, Katrina, looks at me. She was seventh grader. And she's like, Coach, I am 12. <laughs> I just started dying laughing. Like, what are you going to do in that moment, right? And so we started dying laughing. We had that nice moment. I don't remember if we won the game or not, right? I don't know if it worked. But, you know, I'll never forget that. It was just such a funny thing. Like, you're going to make those mistakes. It's Not everything's going to go 
the way you think. Um, and you have to be open to it. So just keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. Um, and be willing to take, take those risks and take those chances um, and bet on yourself a little bit at times, like, like you said earlier. Um, and as far as the applying within, right, and, and where you work, um, you can't shy away from it. You have to be willing to have those honest conversations to really look at yourself and say, say, is this something that I'm going to be able to live with either way, right? Um, which when, when I applied, that was definitely something that I had to think about, right? If I didn't get the job, was I going to be comfortable going back to the boys program? as the assistant coach with them knowing that I had applied for the girls. Cause it got out right. As soon as you do it, it goes at small school. As soon as right, you know, Mr. Awesome. Blair applied for the girls job, right. It, it spreads around like wildfire. So you have to be honest with yourself. Right. And, and say like, if, if it doesn't, if it goes the other way, are you going to be okay with it? Right. And you have to kind of, kind of have that honest conversation in your own head and, and with, um, the other people at the school, right? I definitely, before making it official, had those conversations with Lenny, the the boys varsity coach, had that conversation with Mr. Shine. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. This is why, you know, and and just be, be upfront, be honest and and be confident and, and know what you know that, you know, if you're applying for it and you think you're you're qualified, have have those reasons and, and be confident in yourself. That's great. You know, and I, I think you, you kind of hit all the above there. You know, I think especially applying within and you mentioned it's just betting on yourself, you know, being able to live with that. If they, if they don't, if they don't decide yeah. that you're ready for that, you know, that you're still willing to do your job as an educator and still grow as a coach to be able yeah. to down the line do that if not somewhere else so yeah. um awesome awesome stuff john uh awesome, as, as always a pleasure talking to you uh but we got one segment left we have our two minute drill uh oh boy, so, i'm excited yeah so you know i'm just gonna kind of rapid fire a bunch of questions at you and um you know just kind of give me one or two word answers i i do I do have the right to challenge if I want you to explain something further and vice versa. If you want to throw your challenge flag to explain and answer a little bit more, you know, I'll give you an opportunity to do so. <laughs> That's what I got to get. I got to get like a flag. All right, man. So I'm going to set the timer and we're just going to fire away as, as many as we can here. Right, um, rank and order of soccer having either a stud goalie, a stud defender, stud scorer, what would be your rank top to bottom? For me, it would be defender first, then scorer, then goalie. Gotcha. Okay. Um, are you a type of coach that prefers a high scoring game or are you more of the conservative one, nothing two one type style uh, games? You, you might guess from the first one, but I more conservative. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Toughest coach you've ever coached against in, in any of the s schools that you've coached at soccer-wise? Great question. Um, Karen, um, I'm going to mispronounce her last name, Gilmet, uh, the former Bishop Fenwick coach. Terrific coach. Okay. Um, best team you have ever coached at Arlington Catholic? Oh, great question. Um, the... I would say the boys lacrosse um, 2011 team, league champion, deep playoff run, very, very talented team. Okay, okay. Um, who is the best girl soccer player that you, you've coached at Allenton Catholic at your time there? 
Squash is gonna get me. And I'll let you. And I'll let you throw the flag on this because clearly, yeah, you're gonna get into. I'm gonna throw the. I'm gonna throw the flag on this, right? You'll get me in a little bit of trouble here. Um, my the best player, uh, just like from a pure soccer talent wise, probably um, Katie Regan graduated. Uh, she graduated two years ago. Um, currently playing at Wheaton, um, midfielder, just a terrifically like ball skilled talented uh player um captain for me and uh three-time league all-star just a just a great player she but she she also played with some talented she she's in a in a great um Haley Moran who was the Katie was our midfielder Kaylee was our forward that year is also playing collegiate soccer at Salem State um so but but Katie might get the slight the slight edge there it's always a, it's always a good debate to have several people. It is a great. Oh, know, absolutely. Shows absolutely. What, what type of talent you and have. Again, a little bit. Yeah, it's a, and again a little bit of recency bias. Maybe there are definitely some great players uh, from my first few years as well. Uh, my first goalie, Jenny Corso, um, who was the goalie who I inherited. She was a senior my first year. Just a terrific goaltender. That's great. Um, uh, that's yeah. Who Who would you say is your biggest coaching mentor? Um, Dan Brothers, uh, who is the varsity co- varsity lacrosse coach at AC, who I've been working under for for eleven years now. That's awesome! I didn't realize you guys worked together that long. Wow. Um, and and a last question. This is more of like an inside joke that I think will make us both laugh. <laughs> Has there been any practice schedule mishaps this year for girls soccer? Uh, yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> of course there have been. <laughs> They're always, they're always scheduling mishaps. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Just for the inside joke, when John and I coach football together, we'd always make a schedule to kind of be able to know when soccer's either coming on or going off and when football's coming on and going off. And no matter how many times we worked on it, there always was a scheduling mishap. Always a scheduling mishap. There for something. (laughs) Oh, and and you think you think it would be easier this year because there are only the two teams on the field, but we still get a. There's still always let's call it communication issues at times. You know. Oh, it kills me. One guy who makes the spreadsheet, which I guess is me, right? (laughs) (laughs) It could be the problem. Um, But in all seriousness, John, um, uh, you know, knowing you for as long as I've known you and just watching you coach, I've always admired, you know, just kind of the respect that you have around that school, that community, but with your players. I mean, everybody knows who John Bolero is, um, whether it's in the soccer world, whether it's in the Catholic school world, everyone knows John Bolero. Everywhere I go, someone knows you. Um, So it was just, it was great to have you on here to have your knowledge um you know to me just an, an all-around great person to be working with kids at high school and helping them you know kind of achieve their goals and get to that next step whether it's on the playing field or in the classroom so you know i really appreciate you coming on today and and i was ecstatic i really was that anthony man i'm just so honored to be to be invited Look, looking at the list of coaches you've had and the, the few you have coming up after me that you've announced already you know to be in such such high company um is you know humbling and i'm honored to be here man and i think you're doing a great thing um bringing to, to light some of the great things that are going on in massachusetts high school coaching right so thank you for doing this this is great yeah pleasure's all mine man i know how hard coaches work and everyone deserves to have their story heard and talk about their program. And, you know, everyone judges by wins and losses and no one realizes the work that goes into it in the off season and how you're developing and how, you know, you're really trying to be an all around role model. You mentioned that living your life, 
the way that you want these kids to be committed and so on and so forth, you're making those same commitments and it makes them a better person. It makes us a better person as coach because you know, it shows us that we can time manage and that when, you know, when our hearts into something, you're devoted to it. So, um, like I said, just love having you on, love talking to you always. And, uh, this was great. Thank you so much. And uh, from Beyond X's yeah. and O's podcast, I'm Anthony Petralis, John Bolero, head girls soccer coach at Allenton Catholic. Thanks for coming on. And next week, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have another great guest. Thanks, coach.